Hey, it's Kevin here. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us online today to listen to our content. You've joined us in a series called God Never Said That. And what we're looking at, we're looking at things that we usually say that God says, but you can't find in the Bible. This series will be intriguing, funny, and also challenging. Also, if you've not uh, downloaded our app yet, download our app. And you can also find us online at thrivechurch.me. Or you can listen to our podcast by way of iTunes, Apple Store, or Google Play. Now on to today's message. How are we doing today? Excellent. Very good. Very good. You know, I was thinking, it's really weird these days. I was thinking about our kids and how they've basically grown up without cable. Now, listen to what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, I know that cable television is still a thing. Some of you still have cable TV, but our kids have basically just grown up with Netflix and Hulu and sometimes Amazon Prime Video, basically all the on-demand services. So they are not accustomed to normal cable television like we were. Like when I was growing up, you had to sit there and you had to wait for your favorite show to come on. And sometimes that favorite show would not come on. Or sometimes your favorite show would come on, but it would not be the episode that you wanted to watch. And it would be a repeat that you saw yesterday and so on and so forth. And not only that, we had to do what? We had to sit through commercial breaks. And if you've ever watched TV recently, you're basically going to watch the same five commercials every single commercial break so that by the time you're done watching whatever you're watching, you cannot stand whatever product they are trying to sell you. But our kids, they're not really accustomed to this. They have Netflix. They have Hulu. They have this on-demand uh, at their fingertips. They can get it how they want it, when they want it, right? Well, the other day I decided I wanted to get YouTube TV. And for those of you that have no clue what YouTube TV is, it's basically like cable television light, okay? So you stream this. It's not something you have to get hooked into a wall. You don't have to get the cable company out there to hook you up like you would normally do. Uh, you just sign up online, and then you have a device like your television, the smart TV or anything like that that will stream that onto your TV. And it's kind of like cable, so you get all of these channels. Now, the, the cool thing is it's cheaper than cable. I'm, I'm not selling for YouTube TV, by the way, um, but I really enjoy it. It's cheaper than regular TV, and it kind of gets rid of all the fluff channels that literally nobody is watching, right? If you have cable, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's about 200 channels, and no one's watching any of those channels. So you don't have to go through all of the fluff channels and all that kind of stuff, but the downside to all of this is you have commercial breaks. So the other day, Elizabeth and I were trying to get a, 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 have a family moment. You know, we were trying to get everybody together. Let's watch a movie together. Every now and then, we actually want to spend time around each other. So we're like, hey, you know what? Beauty and the Beast, the new live-action movie, is on Disney Channel right now. Let's watch that together. Let's spend time doing this. We got about probably 15 minutes into this movie, and then Caleb, our middle son, he just gets up and leaves. Well, where are you going? We're trying to spend time together. Come, come sit with us. He's like, I can't stand the commercials. I can't handle it. I don't, I don't understand why we can't fast forward these commercials. I don't understand why we can't just skip the advertisements is what he calls them because he watches YouTube all the time and they're called advertisements on there. So he said, I don't understand why we have to watch all of these 
adds. Now, to explain them was, well, we don't really have a choice in this matter. It is what it is. We don't just get to pick and choose all the time depending on whatever mood that we're in. It's a tough life lesson for him in this day and age to have to be patient, to wait. That you don't always get what you want. You don't always get to choose. Now, the other day I was watching this video, and in the video there was this guy in England. He was going around. He was outside of a cathedral, and he was interviewing random people that were just passing by. And he wanted to know what they thought about religion. He wanted to know what they thought about Christianity specifically, or what they thought about the Bible. And he got numerous answers as he continued to interview each different person. You had some people that said, well, yeah, I believe in God. Well, how often do you go to church? Well, like, well I don't really go to church. I pretty much, I, you can call me just a, like a Christmas Christian, right? And then you had some folks that were like, I don't believe in it at all. I grew up Catholic or grew up whatever, and I just, I'm done with it. I can't stand it. It's over. I don't like it at all. But there was this one individual that really stuck out to me when he was interviewing him. He, he said, what do you like? You know, do you believe in God? He said, yeah. Well, like, what do you like about Christianity? It's like, well, I like all the things that make me feel good inside, all the things that make me feel warm and fuzzy, but I don't really fool with any of the other stuff. I don't care for that. I don't pay attention to any of that. He believed that he could kind of just pick and choose what he wanted to believe out of the Bible. You know, if he didn't really like that, then eh, let's get rid of that. I don't have to believe it. I can choose what I want to believe. If he didn't like it, he didn't have to believe it. Basically saying, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as it makes you happy inside. And if you're just joining us here at Thrive, we're actually wrapping up our series called God Never Said That. And we're really focusing in on this statement. God never said that it doesn't matter what you believe. God never said that. But we're being taught by the world. We're being taught by the culture, that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter. You can believe in multiple religions if that makes you happy. As long as it makes you happy, it doesn't matter what you believe. All dogs go to heaven, right? You can borrow from different religions if you need to. It doesn't matter. Whatever makes you happy. But when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it does matter what we believe. It's the most important event in human history. I think that everybody in here can agree with that. It's the most important event that could have taken place for each one of us in this world. Many of us, many of you have a story. When you first came to believe in Jesus, when you first came to really believe and understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, every follower of Jesus came to a point where they had to make a decision. Was Jesus who he says he is? Did the events of the resurrection actually take place? When I was growing up, I believed a lot of different things. Now, I grew up in a Baptist uh, church family. We went to church every single week. We did not miss. If I was sick, it didn't matter. Tough, you're going to church with us. We're going to sit in the pews. We're going to sing our hymns, and we're going to do this week in and week out. Now, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed that, yeah, Jesus died for us because I heard that in Sunday school, and, and that's just what I was being told. But I didn't really fully understand what that meant. You know, I still kind of lived the life of whatever makes me happy. I'm just going to do that thing. And I thought that maybe if I just flew under the radar, 
God would kind of just ignore everything that I did, as long as I wasn't making too many waves or ripples, that God would just ignore me and I'd be able to go straight to heaven and all would be well with my soul. But that's not true, now is it? But the older that I got, the more I truly understood what Jesus did for me. The older that I got, the more I understood the gravity of what Jesus did, the sacrifice that he made, the more I understood the resurrection and what that means for my life, what that means for everybody else's lives. Because the resurrection is the cornerstone of our Christian faith. It is the cornerstone of our faith. And in the first century, Paul was writing this letter to a group in Corinth. And he had to write to them because they were being taught by a bunch of false teachers. They were, they were infiltrating their church, spinning their agenda. And what they were doing is they were trying to tell them that, hey, the resurrection wasn't real. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. And they had their theories, they had their assumptions about what really took place, why, why they thought those things. But Paul, when he is responding to these people, he boils it all down to this one thing. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, you can turn your attention to the screen. It says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. I'm going to read that again, because that is powerful stuff, all right? I mean, if you really, really dig into that and you really read that. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. What this means, the meaning of this is, this would all be completely pointless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If the resurrection hadn't taken place, what would have actually happened was there was a man that fooled a lot of people, and a lot of people died for absolutely nothing. And what that means is then that all of us, all of those people, we're still dead to our sins. We have not been forgiven. We have not been redeemed if the resurrection has not taken place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The importance of the resurrection, how the resurrection of Jesus is the chief cornerstone of Christianity. It's not like other religions based off of good deeds or how you live in this life. It's not about any of that. It's about the resurrection and how we have all been redeemed through the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through the resurrection, what it does is it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. He is Lord, and it shows us what our futures can be. You are able to be saved, able to become a follower of Christ, and have heaven as your home if you believe with your heart, you repent of your sins, and you confess that you follow Jesus Christ. And my goal here today is to get people to believe in the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, or if you have your doubts here today about the resurrection, my goal is that you would leave here today knowing, believing, and trusting that the resurrection did in fact happen. And because that resurrection happened, we have the opportunity to have everlasting life with our creator. The error that we've made as Christians as leaders within a church, is that we, 
We try to get people to believe in Old Testament miracles first. If you've grown up in church, you know this to be true. When I was younger and I was in like little kid church, we learned about Noah, right? Building the ark and the, and the great flood. We learned about Moses parting the Red Sea and all of the other miracles that happened there. We learned about Elijah and all of these things. But this is what Paul says in Romans 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead as Lord, you shall be saved. Paul didn't say that if you believe in Elijah, that he ascended into heaven, you will be saved. He didn't say that if you believe that Moses parted the Red Sea and crossed with the Israelites, that you will be saved. No, he says if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. So we have to start with the resurrection. If someone believes and surrenders their life to Jesus, then they will have the Holy Spirit enter their lives, and they will be able to have the Holy Spirit guide them in their lives, in what they do. So we have to look at this truth. To become a follower of Christ, you have to believe that Jesus died and rose again and is Lord. Jesus didn't just die for us. He rose again. And here's the thing. We don't just believe that Jesus rose from the dead because that's just what we tell you from this stage. We don't just believe that Jesus rose from the dead because we just have faith. We don't just believe that Jesus rose from the dead because that's what the Bible tells us. We have something else. We have eyewitness accounts of this event. We have historical evidence. So if you're going to put the resurrection under a microscope, if you're going to judge the resurrection and come to a decision, you have to take into account the historical facts that come into play with this. And there are four historical facts that I want to look at this morning. And we put this in a nice little acronym for everybody so that you can easily remember this. And it's BEAR, B-E-A-R. The first one is this. Jesus' death and burial. That's what the B stands for, burial. And we see accounts of this in Matthew chapter 27. It says, Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. That's where we see the account of Jesus' burial. The second one is this, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Matthew 28 also says, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The coolest thing about, about Christianity, what separates us from any other religion in this world is the fact that there was an empty tomb. See, there were numerous people that claimed to be the Messiah in this day and age. And those people were put to death but what happened to them? Nothing. They stayed dead. Their followers scattered. 
and their religion died. What separates Christianity, what separates Jesus Christ from all of these other people is that he rose again, the tomb was empty. The third thing is this, post-resurrection appearances. We see this in Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And in 1 Corinthians, it says this, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Jesus was seen by numerous people. It wasn't just the disciples. It says that he was seen by more than 500 people. 500 people saw the risen Jesus. And the last one is this, the rise of Christianity. And we see this in Acts chapter 2. Those who believed that Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All of these things are not only in the Bible. I want you to understand this. Not only are these things just in the Bible, they are corroborated by outside sources, written by different people that had no skin in the game, so to speak. There were accounts that there was a person named Jesus. He developed a following. He performed miracles. He was sentenced to death, and he rose again. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you have to believe this. You have to believe this. Of course, there's always going to be people that have their doubts. They think that it was all just one big myth. So we're going to look at today the three major myths that people believe about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the first myth is this. It's the conspiracy theory which is the guards and hundreds of Jesus' disciples lied and then died for that lie. That's this conspiracy theory, that the Roman guards lied about it, would eventually be tried and sentenced to death. The disciples lied. The 500 people who followed Jesus and gave accounts that they had seen him lied. They all collaborated in this grand lie. And then they all died. They were martyred, tortured. They were boiled, beaten for this lie. But not only those who we just talked about, but future generations of Christians in the early church died for this lie. So thousands upon thousands of people just kept on dying because everybody just lied about it. They kept their mouths shut. And I got to tell you today, if you or I knew that this was a lie, we would not die for this lie. We would say, no, 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 forget about it. Never mind. I take it all back. We would not die for a lie. And think about this. There were hundreds of so-called false messiahs, like I said, in the first century. And the way that Everyone got rid of these false messiahs was by killing them. And we see this in Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 33. It says this, When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. 
But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow named Thutis who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him at that time, the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all of his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone, let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. And this is a pretty powerful statement that he makes here. You see that other messiahs had risen up in their time, but had been promptly killed and their followers scattered. There was something very different about Jesus. The same disciples now who were at the cross saw Jesus die. They did scatter. They were scared about what might happen to them. But after they saw the resurrected Jesus standing before them, they were able to stand before those same people who sentenced Jesus to die and who killed Jesus. They preached Jesus as Lord anyways. They were all martyred. So what happened? What changed? What made these followers of Jesus become bold to not be afraid? Why did they flee in fear and all of a sudden stand up and die for the message of the resurrection? And the answer to this is really simple. They saw Jesus resurrected. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, because they had seen the resurrected Jesus, they boldly proclaimed everything that they had seen. That's the first myth. The second myth is this. It's called the swoon theory. What this is, is Jesus didn't die but fainted or just went into a coma. Right. Jesus just passed out. Went into a coma, was, was put into a tomb, three days later somehow re removed the large stone blocking the exit, left. Three days he was fully healed from a Roman capital punishment crucifixion. Now this belief, it rose to prominence in the early 19th century. But here are some of the obstacles that this myth has to face. First, Jesus was beaten for two days under Roman punishment. This means that Jesus was, was beaten with whips, with a cat of nine nails, which is glass and shards that would rip the skin off of the body. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with their fists. He was beaten beyond recognition. He had skin ripped from his body. He had a crown of thorns pressed against his skull. And he was so weak by the end of these two days that he could not even carry the cross by himself. Now, we're going to show a clip here. And before we do that, I want to give a little disclaimer here. If you have kids in here and you don't want them to see this, you take the proper precautions. This is a clip from Passion of the Christ. It is very, very difficult to watch. 
But it is super when he was going through the crucifixion. You can go ahead and show the video at this time. This is, it's very difficult to watch. And there was a reason why we wanted to show this, is because there is literally no way, no way that he could have just been completely healed after three days from that kind of punishment. We didn't show this clip to make everybody just completely upset, but to show the brutality of what Jesus went through, just how bad this event would have been. So it would have been a complete miracle, almost like the resurrection, if Jesus completely healed up to the point that they did not recognize him. His disciples did not recognize him after three days. So if you believe in the swoon theory, you at some level believe in God's healing power, at least. It would be literally impossible for someone to go through the Roman crucifixion to that level that Jesus went through and in three days completely be healed. And those that believe the swoon or the coma theory have never really studied the Roman Empire or have they ever seen how long it would take someone to heal from that type of beating. It would have taken months upon months for Jesus to heal. It would have taken a long time. That's the second myth. The third one is this, the hallucination hypothesis. 
the disciples hallucinated. This is the myth that the disciples simply just hallucinated. None of it happened. The empty tomb was a hallucination. Seeing Jesus was a hallucination. All 500 people spontaneously hallucinated the resurrected Christ. And we're not going to stay on this one very long. Because really, a hallucination? All those people spontaneously, spontaneously just hallucinated? They weren't on drugs or anything? I mean, that's crazier to believe than the actual resurrection. But I want to leave you, out, leave you all with this one thought of logic. In our current judicial system, there is one key piece of evidence that is more powerful than DNA. And do you know what that is? It's an eyewitness account. And if there's multiple eyewitnesses of the same story, that's like icing on the cake. We convict people and put them in jail with this system. So why is it that this system works for our judicial system, but we refuse to make it work for the resurrection? We have historical, viable letters stating that they saw the resurrected Christ. So you can say, well, I guess, I guess he did resurrect. There is eyewitness evidence. But there are a few things that you can do with this. You can ignore the resurrection. You can believe it happened but downplay the significance of it. Or you can believe upon Jesus as the Christ. And there may be some of you here today that have never placed your trust in Jesus. You haven't fully surrendered your life to him. I mean, maybe you're being swayed by all of the myths that we just went over and we talked about today. But I want to invite you to take that next step, if you have not taken that next step, to place your trust in Jesus, to not fall into the trap that it doesn't matter what we believe, but to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to believe in the resurrection, to believe that Jesus did in fact die, was buried, and rose from the grave three days later, and it was through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have life in him, that we can be redeemed in him, we can be forgiven, and we can have everlasting life with our Father. Let's pray.